The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Tēnā koto, everybody and thank you for joining me for an experimental episode or two or three of Climate Matters. I'm Lindsay Wood. I'm the director of climate strategy company Resilience Limited. And Climate Matters is brought to you by Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access radio station. Fresh FM broadcasts in Blenheim on 88.9, to Eastern Golden Bay on 95.0, to the Nelson CBD on 107.2, and across the Nelson-Tasman region on 104.8. It's also streamed to the planet on freshfm.net, and podcasts of Climate Matters and also of other locally produced shows are available through freshfm.net and through the accessmedia.nz app. Well, I mentioned this was an experimental episode, and as I'm sitting here, it's actually on New Year's Eve, and it's a boisterous afternoon in Nelson. There's flurries of wind coming in this direction and that direction. We've had a couple of rescue helicopters fly over my place, and I've waited for them to depart. And it's also the day after I... uh, I'm trying to come to terms with having been honoured with a becoming a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit in the New Year's Honours List. So um, that has spurred me to a lot of reflection, I suppose, and to take the opportunity to share a few of my own thoughts. And so as I sit here, you can't see this, but I'm I'm surrounded by bits of paper. I've got story arcs and I've got mind maps and I've got lists of things. And every time I tried to simplify what I wanted to say, it became more complicated. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll give it a go and see how it goes. So I hope that this is an interesting session for you and um, not too rambly or you don't get too sick of my voice. Um, I don't know how long I'll go for, maybe 10 minutes, maybe for 40 minutes, but we'll just see where it goes and draw to an end or split it up into different episodes if it seems worthwhile. So broadly, what I'm hoping to talk about is I'm going to start with a theme which is combining being good ancestors, which is derived from the wonderful Top of the South intergenerational strategy Tupunapono developed by Pocatu Incorporation and the Iwis of the Top of the South Island, a combination of being good ancestors and humility, and I'll expand on that. That will morph, I think, into quite a discussion maybe on um, competition versus cooperation, uh, in which case I'll drift into the political system, I'll drift into information. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the fool's errands I think we're on that are making our climate dilemmas worse and our ability to grapple with it harder. Um, I want to talk about lifestyles and do a bit of a contrast between what we strive for and what we're enjoying at the moment in our holiday period. And I want to talk a little bit about energy and inequality. And I also uh, really want to have an overall arc that we're facing a really tough problem, but we, if we do the right things, we can end up directing ourselves towards a good place. And to me, that is the gist of being a good ancestor. So you can see there that feels like more than 10 minutes worth, doesn't it? So just to pick up on my salute to Tupunapono, being good ancestors, uh, many of you have heard of this before, but 
the the iwi of the top of the South Island, uh, the eight iwi plus um, Wakatu Incorporation, had a very massive process about or two or three years ago involving 30,000 or more people consulting, discussing, workshopping, and they ended up with this interim strategy, which is it got a time horizon of around about 500 years, which I think is wonderful. For those of you in Nelson that um, knew of the What If Wakatoon Nelson series, the wonderful series run at lunchtimes in Nelson in the lead up to Christmas over about a five-week period, Midiama Stevens, a director at Wakatu Incorporation, gave an inspirational talk on this. Uh, I will try and find the link to that talk so that I can post it on the Fresh FM Climate Matters webpage. Anyway, that reinforced my belief in what they were saying. I think we have to be very careful not to do any less than embrace a lot of what is being said in that. It's a wonderful concept supported by a lot of wisdom. Uh, I take my hat off to Midiana and her team. So going back from there to the theme of humility, being humble, I guess, was one of the things that struck me when I learned I was receiving the New Year's honor. And that sounds a bit corny, doesn't it, being humble? <laughs> everybody says that. And the other thing that everybody says that also sounds corny is, well, why me? I'm just one of a lot of people who deserve this sort of thing. So I guess I do want to go on the record and say that I'm I am do feel honored by receiving the member of the New Zealand Order of Merit, but I also feel humbled that so many people have presumably put me up for it. It's a bit of a mysterious process. I know very little about what happened before I learned in October this year, a couple of months ago, that I had been nominated for the award. I didn't know who nominated me. I didn't know what they'd said about me. All that I was, I was approached by the parliamentary office to answer a few questions and get a few facts straight. But the other thing is that, and this also is corny, that I really feel that I'm accepting this honor on behalf of a lot of other people who might deserve it more or less. We're not in a competition, but they certainly deserve to be acknowledged. Okay, so moving on from there and that feeling of humility, it brings me into a sense of humility that I want to relay back to 18 months ago when I interviewed Belinda Story, who's a researcher. She's at Victoria University. She's a very switched-on researcher. She um, has been involved in the Deep South Science Challenge a lot. And when I interviewed her and we started talking about what her findings were, she was talking particularly about coastal retreat and um, the issues of how long we can defend ourselves on the coast from sea level rise and increasing storms. And the thing that she almost started with was saying, we need to be humble. We need to take an approach of humility. That was not what I was expecting her to say. But as it evolved, it became very clear why she said it, because in the end, we are not in a position to control or dominate these things. Ultimately, what will happen will happen. The sea will rise to the point that our best defenses will be overcome, or the storms will increase in severity. So the best we can really do is probably buy time in terms of coastal development, and that may be the case in other places as well. And if you're thinking, oh, I'm building this big expensive house and it might not last that as long as I'd like it to, 
we need an element of humility to think, well, actually, what's going on here and what is my place in all of this? So if we pick up on that idea of humility, and that then becomes a question of where do we stand in the competition versus cooperation spectrum? Um, we tend to be a fairly competitive society. We have competitive sports teams. We have a competitive political system. We also, um, if you think of us building um, near the sh near the foreshore, we have an issue of us against the elements and can we prevail over the elements. That is rather different to Te Ao Māori, which is, sees us very much as integrated as a whole with nature. And, and that level of integration is something that I think we ought to take more to heart of when I say we, I'm talking as a Pākehā, but also as a society at large. And therefore, I think the question of, um, of being humble and not seeing ourselves trying to dominate or overcome nature is very important. And if we then build on that um, competitive versus cooperative frame, I think we would do a lot worse than try and adopt the ethos that cooperation trumps co um, competition. <laughs> cooperation trumps competition. Trump is an unfortunate word these days, isn't it? It's lost a lot of its meaning or taken on extra meaning. Um, and that put me in mind of a situation in 2013 when Helen Clark, who was um, at that stage had a high office in the United Nations and had been prime minister in New Zealand for um, eight years previously, nine years previously, um, Helen Clark was delivering the Cawthron Address at the Rutherford Hotel, and she was being introduced by Nick Smith, who was then the Minister for the Environment. Now, most of you will know that Helen Clark was the leader of the Labour Party, and Nick was a National Party um, MP and minister. And therefore, when Nick stood up and started singing Helen Clark's praises, he paused for a moment and made the comment, you might think it's strange that here's me, a National MP, um, singing the praises of a former la Labour politician. But he made the point that when we looked outside the country, we were all in it together, and that Helen Clark's appointment was the highest political appointment that had ever been made by any New Zealander anywhere. And so he sort of celebrated that as a Kiwi rather than trying to uh, compete with it as a national versus Labour politician. And, of course, you can liken that also to things like our, our All Blacks. If we look at uh, our regional provincial rugby teams, there's intense rivalry between them, you know, um, Canterbury and Auckland and so on. But as soon as those players get together in an all-black team, then they unite and they want to work as a whole. They don't want to sort of favor uh, one person over another because they're an Aucklander rather than a Cantabrian or whatever. However, they are still trying to beat someone else. So in the end, the name of that game is winning. And I want to question whether we should be looking on that winning in that sense as us being, quotes, the best in the world or whatever. And that, in turn, put me in mind of being at the Agricultural Climate Conference in, uh, I think it was actually in Palmerston North that um, Minister Damien O'Connor said this. And the minister, in one of his opening speeches, he said basically, he said, it's time to change our thinking. We don't want to be the best in the world. 
We want to be the best for the world. I think that's a very worthy mantra, and that fits well with the idea of being good ancestors. So anyway, um, in that context then, if we think of the the idea of cooperation being a preferable outcome to competition, then we start to look at things like um, where do we stand in all of this? Some of you may have heard the historian, philosopher, amazing intellectual Daniel Schmachtenberger. Um, I have to say he's the most powerful intellect I think I've ever encountered. I've seen a number of his podcasts. They, uh, everyone is like a virtuoso performance. And I just think, how does he know all that stuff? And then how does he string it together so coherently? But anyway, in one of his summaries about where we are going, Schmachtenberger said, what we have to do is try and evolve beyond the point of where we're always seeking a competitive advantage. That's a very interesting concept. I don't doubt that he's right, but I have trouble getting my head around it because, for example, I'm hoping that the ideas that I put forward for climate and how we might tackle it gain traction. And, and if gaining traction is not getting a competitive advantage, I'm not quite sure what the process is. Um, maybe there's some sort of evaluation process that's not competition, or maybe the idea of competitive advantage is taken to one side by the idea that we actually are a collaborative advantage. And so I'm going to pause here. You'll see what I mean by not knowing where I was heading and being a bit rambly. I'm already way off the side of some of my mind maps and lists that I've got here. When I was a, a young fellow, because I'm an old dude now, I played a lot of competitive sports. I loved sports. Um, I was quite a good hockey player. I was uh, captain of a provincial team, and I uh, I was asked to go to the North Island uh, Championships and the selection for the national team. And at the same time, I got involved with mountaineering, and I realized that one of the very special things about mountaineering was that you collaborated a lot more than you competed. There wasn't a winner as such. There was a team effort. Um, this is your, your mates on the rope, the other people in your party. And although there was a little bit of com competitiveness between members, or um, I couldn't get up this, but you can sort of thing, or vice versa, um, in the end, the outcome was much more about a team effort than about winning or conquering a mountain or anything like that. So in all of that, I that shifted me a little bit away from competitive sports. It hasn't knocked my competitive instinct completely, and I'm no psychologist, so I don't know exactly where our, our genes and our hormones drive us in terms of competitive instinct. So anyway, coming back to the question of competition, cooperation, not trying to be a winner, the, the flip side of that is the idea of getting to a draw. A few years ago, um, Radio New Zealand had a, a guest, and I wish I could remember his name, and he was talking about the importance of aiming to get to a draw rather than aiming to win. If you think about it, that is the core of consensus politics. Um, the idea that everybody in a room will will buy into some solution is in a way a draw, a very worthy draw. A draw is not a, a disappointing outcome in that case. It's a triumph. It's, it's hey, here's a place we can all buy into. 
one of the processes that relates to that, and I think is have a has a big future in climate decisions and policies, and quite possibly a lot wider, is the idea of participatory democracy. I've touched on that briefly in an earlier Climate Matters not long ago, but participatory democracy will allow us, as a very large group of independently selected, very representative, i.e. across the demographics group, becoming very well informed on issues and reaching, if possible, a consensus decision on whatever issue is before them. Um, uh, That has been celebrated in cases from Ireland and other countries. But the the thing about that is that then if we're approaching it with that frame of mind or or thinking, well, I'm not in this to be a winner, I'm in this to to try and find a draw where other people can buy into the solution as well, it then points to the need for us being open-minded and being willing to change our mind in the face of new information. And to be quite honest, we're not always very good at that. And part of that is to be able to admit we're wrong. And I encountered that in myself quite noticeably when I, not long after I first came to Nelson 15 years ago, and not long after that, the issue of the Southern Link um, was up on the agenda again and was being hotly debated. And of course, the argument was that we had too much congestion in Nelson and we needed the Southern Link to ease the congestion. Now, at that point, I thought three things. I thought, A, if you built bigger highways, you could ease congestion. I thought, B, an alternative to building bigger highways was just to put heaps of buses on the road. And anyway, I thought Nelson didn't have congestion of any note because I'd just come from Auckland where they have congestion on steroids to the point that in my business there, I even had staff members leaving. Why? Because it took too long to do a right turn out of their street to drive towards my office or the office of my practice to come to work. Some of them were sitting 20 minutes to half an hour just to make the turn out of their own street. So in that context, I discovered I was wrong on every count. If you build bigger highways, you generally attract more traffic, not instantly, but over a very few years. That more traffic not only congests the new bigger highways, but also discharges a lot more traffic into the middle of town and therefore creates a more congestion problem and more parking problem in the middle of town. Not only that, but if you just put heaps of buses on the road, it's been found around the world, that people, if they have the option of driving, they will continue to drive while the traffic is flowing well. So even if the Brazilian buses, if they can hop in their car and drive quickly, they probably will. And there used to be a mantra in London, this was before they introduced congestion charges, a mantra in London that went, people in London will continue to drive until the traffic slows to 13 kilometers an hour, or as it used to be even longer ago, till eight miles per hour. So I was wrong on the count of buses. And then the other thing is that I was wrong on the account of whether or not Nelson has congestion. Certainly its congestion is nothing like as bad as Auckland's, but one of the yardsticks of congestion is, do you feel it's congested? And if you feel it's congested, then that is one form of congestion. There are other forms of congestion to do with 
the rate at which people travel or how much longer their trips take or how close to a theoretical capacity a highway is, but the feeling of congestion is a valid measure. So dial back to what I was talking about, about being open to admit we're wrong. I was wrong on every count on on the question of what the Southern Link was trying to address and what solutions might be. Now, we're running on 20 minutes here. That's a long time for a 15-minute show, and i am still got plenty of ground to cover, as you'll know, so I'm going to take a short pause, and then we'll get back into this again, which I'm assuming is going to be episode two of this philosophical ramble of mine. Next week, we will have Climate Matters 108, and then we'll have the second part of this <laughs> philosophical wander the week after that. So in the meantime, thank you so much for joining me. And as always, kia kaha for the climate. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM with support from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.